Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a few things, um, some video game related items, as well as a uh, movie that released his, uh, on the di- today, the day of recording. Um, and then we're going to talk about the two major releases that released uh, this weekend. So again, I am uh, joined by my co-host, uh, Patrick out in New York, and uh, he's going to discuss some of these items with me tonight. So, how you doing, Pat? Oh, not too bad. And yourself? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, got to wash out my mouth a little bit from Pet Cemetery, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in the in the episode. But um, one, one quick update I wanted to do um, on the video game talk, because I said that I would do a re- little short review for Devil May Cry 5. Uh, once I completed it, I completed it last weekend, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know where it necessarily fits within the timeline of things. I maybe need to do a little bit more research, because the way it ends, it feels like it ends where 2 ended, but I'm not still not sure if 2 was actually in chronological sequence with, like, 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, and now 5, or if, like, like I said in one of the previous episodes, that five is before two. You know that whole Fast and Furious type of thing with timelines. It's kind of a little messy, but overall gameplay, I really enjoyed it. Um, I still have to go back and replay a particular chapter that wants you to play or select which one of the three characters you want to go through that chapter with. And I did uh, Dante. No, I did Nero uh, for that time. So I still have to play as Dante and uh, V. It had a nice little twist with one of the characters, but um, in reality, it was kind of like yeah, I could see it coming, uh, but nothing you know too annoying or too frustrating with it. And uh, the final final fight is pretty intriguing and interesting, and I thought very well done. It's a little easy, but I did play it on um, I think an easier difficulty. So I think when I do a second run through, I'm going to play it on a little bit harder um, difficulty. But overall, I'd have to give that, I think, a 4.5 out of 5. Um, the only points I really kind of take off are uh, Nero's combat was not my favorite. It's one the one I excelled the most at on getting the like SSS rank for combat style. But it, it was difficult to really want to uh, play as his character because he doesn't do much himself. He requires his... Uh, little like spirit animals to do all the work for him and I'm not one who likes to kind of shy away from combat I like running in first and then getting uh, subsequently murdered by whatever I'm fighting against um, but it still was a very overall enjoyable game a great entry into the series and one I would definitely highly recommend uh, if you're a fan of the series to, to play and even if you're not familiar with it I think if you there is a uh, little history of DMC uh, in the menu. I didn't go back and look at it, but since I'm so confused about the timeline of things, I might look at it um, here and now since I've completed the game and see if I can figure out where 5 actually fits within the chronology of things. But uh, there is also a really uh, fun um, kind of Michael Jackson-esque scene with Dante in a hat. Uh, It's hilarious. I'm sure you can YouTube the uh, clip that I'm talking about, but it was pretty funny. So um, I definitely recommend it. It's definitely worth the money. I know they just did a, a little free DLC for the Blade Palace, which is just a, basically like an arena just to fight enemies and, and uh, combat rank. But 
uh, yeah, definitely check it out. It's it's definitely worth your time and definitely worth the money. Um, so, also, uh, I we got some awesome video game news this week. I know you're not as much of a fan of the, the Borderlands series, but I am. And uh, we had the Borderlands 3 trailer. Did you check it out at all? I did check it out. And I gotta say that they do know how to advertise. <laughs> uh, it was very... They, their trailers have always been on point and they uh they utilize good cinematics and they combine it with a great soundtrack for for the trailer of course right but but other than that i, I think that's all it has going for it <laughs> well you know it's really funny because you and i had this discussion uh recently that you did not like or do not think that it has any replayability but uh i've watched a few videos recently on youtube and that's what everyone discusses is how much replayability the game has uh what's your personal thoughts on that personally i have not gone back to play them since they came out i played one for i don't know probably 10 10 hours and then i played two for probably less than that it's it it got to the point where i felt like it was uh just running shooting killing and then moving on to the next thing but to be, but to be fair, that's kind of the the whole point of the game. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's 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 to the point of most games, nowadays, right? Anyways, as well. It, it it wants. I mean, with with the number of guns, and of course, you know, they got their like ludicrous marketing where it's like a bajillion or a bazillion or billion guns, uh, in with their different combinations, different types. That it's about what most creative way can you kill uh, your enemy within the games and. I personally, I, you know, it was funny because you were the one that actually, I think, got me back into playing one. I had bought one and I didn't really get into it. I didn't, um, I didn't really dig the, the mission styles, not, not necessarily the, the design of the game, but I had a really hard time finding myself around in the world, figuring out where I needed to go. And I, and so I didn't really get too far into it. And I think you had picked it up and you wanted to do a little co-op on it. And we did co-op for a little while, and I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a second shot. And then I fell absolutely in love with it, and you kind of fell out of love with it, um, which is just kind of just funny to think about. But I am really excited for, for three. Uh, I haven't decided which, if I'm going to get the standard or get the collectors. I would love to get the, the ultra collectors edition, the one that's like $250, but I don't know if I can spend that type of bank just for you know some some of the extra features i might just go with the uh deluxe edition that comes with the the dlc but do you have any other things you want to say about borderlands i gotta say that the uh price tag for that the uh, most expensive one seems a little extreme yeah and i can almost guarantee you that whatever you're getting won't won't get you too far through the game to begin with just like how most collector's editions are nowadays yeah it seems like it's mostly cosmetic stuff and you know if it's just cosmetics that's not the greatest thing the one the one thing that like i i think that's good about it is the fact that you get the access to the dlc but you can still get that with the deluxe and that's going to save you like 150 dollars by just doing that so i i think that's probably the version i would go with pre-order um but you know We'll, we'll cross that bridge when I get there. That, that probably makes sense. I, I know that other games like uh, like Anthem 
they kind of gave you like a weapon at the beginning, but that only got you so far. Right. I don't know if Borderlands is doing that, which I mean, I, I don't see a weapon getting you through maybe like 10% of the missions and then it's obsolete. I don't see that as a benefit to you in, in the actual game. And I agree. I think if it was a game that was more like Destiny and, and like Anthem, um, it would probably fit within that category more because it seems like those games are more designed with uh, a weapon type that requires you to have some form of souped up weapon to go up against like super heavy or super tough boss bosses. Uh, games like uh, what we're going to talk about next, uh, your your impressions on Division Two, something like that would benefit from you having early access to a weapon. But at the same time, it's not going to impact your gameplay a whole lot. But since we're we're bringing up Division Two, um, why don't you go ahead and talk about some of some of your impressions, what your thoughts are of that game? So, Division Two. I've, I've had a great time playing it. Um, I honestly wish that I would have played Division One before playing this one, but I never got around to it. I didn't. I didn't really play any of the Tom Clancy games really beforehand. Uh, but I, I do like that it's a third-person shooter. Um, First-person shooters kind of been getting a little repetitive here and there. But the I did a little research into why the world is the way that it is beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is taking seven months after one. So it's after seven months after the Green Poison outbreak, and then you have three factions that you're going up against. You got the Hyenas, the Outcasts, and the True Sons. And at, at the beginning, uh, you can't really, uh, other than the mission telling you uh, who you're going up against, it, really doesn't make a difference because you're just going in there to kill them and do whatever you're doing in the first place. And, and to be so, fair, that's that's how the first game was, too. I mean, I'm still in the midst of trying to finish it. Uh, I've been sidetracked uh, right now. You know, you, as you know, I've been playing uh, Dishonored and, and uh, actually enjoying that more than the first time I tried to play Dishonored back when it was on PS3. But, uh, yeah, you know, the Division 1 would uh, introduce you to the different factions, different gangs. You had people that were like Rikers, uh, you had the Fireflies, I think was what they were called, or I'm getting that from The Last of Us, but they were essentially guys with big giant flamethrowers that would burn infected bodies, and then you just had your general, you know, gangs and, and stuff like that, but it never really mattered, like, who they were per se. You were just, your mission was to go in, take them out, rescue hostages, or, or get data or intel, and so it sounds like that's kind of transferred over into the second one as well. Yeah, with the Division One, I can confirm that that basically is how New York is in the first place mm -hmm. without the uh, Green Poison. <laughs> but, anyways, the the Division Two, the the main point of it is you're at the beginning, you're kind of gathering intel, and then you're like trying to figure out if there is a cure for the Green Poison outbreak, which come to find out there is. And it goes on along that path where you're doing missions and then you got your strongholds as well, right. trying to recover the cures. Um, so how, how does the world, because I know that this one takes place in D.C., 
Uh, and I know that I think their plan is to release some DLC content that maybe uh, takes you back to New York for, for a few missions or a few story missions or, or some um, uh, Dark Zone missions. How does the world for DC look in uh, Division 2? So, visually, it's fantastic. I, I think that they did a great job with uh, all of the details with uh, DC. Uh, structurally, they lined up everything as though uh, uh, DC's layout is. It, it looks great. I mean, they, they managed to do that with uh, New York. I remember... Um, and this was prior to my trip up there to visit you a few years ago. Um, I remember when, when the first one came out and I was walking like in the Madison Square Garden and stuff and it was like really cool. And then uh, just even getting into Times Square and then when I was up there in New York for the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, the, the way that they were able to recreate it very uh, truthfully. And, and another game that did this really well was the uh, Marvel Spider-Man PS4 game is they managed to do it as, as realistically to the city as possible. And I think that helps with the immersion into the game world. Oh, I would definitely think so. I mean, with, with the amount of uh, attention to detail, I, you would have to think that they had people actually going out surveying and everything. Absolutely. Um, so... Uh, how far would you say you're into at least maybe story content? Are you like just still in the beginning seasons or, or, or session, and or are you getting more into the middle of the story? So I have completed all of the stories so far. Oh, okay. Um, at, so at the end of the story, um, and once you complete the three strongholds that there are, uh, spoilers, uh, Basically, you're, you you find the cure, and then your characters are celebrating, and then in comes a, uh, a new faction that comes in and starts attacking, and they are just a lot more brutal than the original uh, factions that you go up against. Now, do you believe that this new faction is going to be kind of the um, segue into the... Uh, in-game DLC content that they're going to be releasing here for the next year or so? Uh, most likely. So okay. once you complete the main mission, or the main missions and the three strongholds, it opens up new strongholds to do, and you'll, you'll level cap at 30, right. but then you go up to, and then it becomes world tiers. So you'll do a, you'll do a stronghold, and it will upgrade you to the next world tier from there. And then it's kind of a, the gear leveling system is by, like, levels, and then there's also, like, specialized or high-end. Once you get to the end there, the other ones don't really matter. I don't yeah, even that, remember what they're called at this point. That sounds a lot like how Destiny um, has structured its in-game level system, is once you hit that max cap, you then have a light level, and that light level is then what allows you to... Um, kind of uh, be more le quote-unquote leveled up for the other in-game or DLC that's released. It's no longer your basic level, like your basic level, much like Division, is, is capped at like level 30, but then your like, light level is like 260, and then you're required to be like at 300 to be able to do this mission, otherwise you're going to just continuously get brutally murdered. Um, so 
do you have any type of review score for it since you have completed the story missions or are you still kind of fulminating on what your final thoughts are on that oh i'd probably give it a four out of four point five out of five. Oh, that's that's uh, pretty uh, good yeah it, it's a very well done game um as i haven't really dealt with too many bugs here there, there's a couple of them here or there but it's more so just servers and that was more at the beginning when the game first came out i haven't had any really recently yeah you know and i think that that's uh, that's kind of typical especially with more of an online um multiplayer even if you're not necessarily playing it with other people it's more of the uh just it's not necessarily faults within the game but just current you know internet connection stuff and and uh other potential issues but i'm really glad to hear that because i i've I've held off from buying it, not because I don't intend on getting it, but mainly because I uh, just want to beat the first one before getting onto that one, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I've just waited so long to get it. But uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And so with with those out of the way, um, we're gonna go ahead, and this is a movie I know you haven't seen, but um, it's a screener uh, that I was sent, and. Um, one thing I'm going to do uh, with these screeners is that uh, I think I'm going to mix them in as much as I can with other film reviews because uh, they, maybe not films that people are uh, more familiar with, and so therefore like they don't really would want to care to like listen to a review or thoughts on them. I think I, I kind of experienced that with... Uh, the last episode where I, I talked about a few movies that I, I don't think anyone had necessarily heard of, but I wanted to, you know, give the people who sent me the the screeners, uh, you know, do justice for having sent it to me. Um, so we only got one to talk about tonight because it actually releases today, even though I, I look now at the when it was actually filmed, and it was filmed actually two years ago. But it's a movie called um, Division 19. And its uh, basic premise is in 2039, jails have been turned into online portals where the public gets to choose what prisoners eat, where, watch, and who they fight. So successful is Panopticon TV, it is about to be rolled out to a whole town, providing subscribers even more choice. Um, and it, it was uh, written and directed by S.A. Halewood and stars um, Linus Roach uh, and Allison Duty. Um, and Will Rothar uh, and a couple other um, actors that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. But uh, this movie's really, really interesting because I didn't know anything going into it. Um, you know, when I saw the trailer, the trailer, or not the trailer, uh, the poster, the poster kind of gave me more of an impression that it was going to be something like uh, District 9, that it was going to be like a kind of an alien film uh, in the sense of like that these aliens have kind of taken over earth and they're kind of controlling the people but um you know after watching the movie and, and kind of realizing that's not the case it's it's a really interesting uh look at the future it's that that premise doesn't really do it enough justice because it's not just about the prisoners it's it's about control of the people and you basically have um the they're no longer cities they're their districts or their divisions and um you have basically everyone's 
life is controlled by the government. And Linus Roach's character is, I think, currently like the person that's in charge in charge of this district, or he might be in charge of the country. Um, and he's running up for re-election, but you have these people who are kind of revolutionaries who want uh, control back to the people. And, and in fact, uh, and not to get too political, but I, I, if you're familiar with current politics right now, there's discussions about high taxes on, on the wealthy and high taxes on individuals to help kind of curb um, certain environmental conditions and, and to uh, to help better the world we're living in. And I think this movie kind of showcases the problem or at least how that can be a slippery slope. No matter how good your intentions are, uh, there can be ill-intentioned people who will uh, use it for nefarious means. And in this case, the government basically controls the people. You can't go anywhere without um, your ID. You've got two forms of ID trackers that are implanted in the body, one you're aware of and one you're not aware of. And um, so I think that this movie does a really good job. It in of itself is not really a political film, but I think it's just, it's things that one can read from the film. And uh, it's kind of just a cautionary tale because we do kind of live in this world where social media dictates or, uh, you know, the we've got clickbaity articles that people only want you to, to click on their articles because they're just in there for the ad revenue. They don't care if, you're inf if the information is correct or false. Um, just whatever can get more clicks and, and more subscribes and more likes and more shares. Uh, because it's all just based on revenue. And in fact, there is even uh, a funny thing where um, you have these two young guys trying to explain the demands of this revolutionary group to Linus Roach's character. Uh, and Linus Roach goes, yeah, it's the Laffer Curve, which you know is referring to economic theory. And uh, I thought it was just really funny because you have these you know, young guys who have been born and raised within the system who don't who have kind of been living in this world where they're being taxed 60 or 70 percent of their income um or just their their lives and their earnings and being constantly controlled by their government and not knowing what the the kind of pre-world tax system was like uh, at least within the states so i thought it was really interesting uh the film really focuses on these two brothers one of the brothers has been in jail for, I believe it's like 10 years, um, and the other brother is is focused uh, on trying to get him out, and then it kind of becomes a role reversal where the younger brother uh, ends up being a prisoner, and then the, the older brother who's been in jail for so long is trying to survive and then get his brother out of there. But it's a really good kind of cautionary tale of where we might find ourselves in the future, and... Um, I mean, it, it's it's very intriguing. I had a chance to uh, interview the director, but I was not able to fit it into my schedule. Um, I, I really wish I, I had more time to be able to interview him because I would have loved to have talked to him about um, some of the, the themes of the story or where he came up with the idea for it because it was totally not what I was expecting it to be. Um, it, it's more akin, and I know you're familiar with Black Mirror, um, the in the first season of Black Mirror, the episode where uh, they 
are all kind of like doing um, certain activities to kind of earn like fake money and then it's um, they you know have to go like the one girl is going on to the one show to like sing and like earn more fame and, and notoriety that way you know what I'm talking about yeah so oh, yeah. It, it's kind of akin to that um, and I, I, it's 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 shot really dark uh, in the sense like it's kind of a sepia tone type um, filter for the movie uh, not exactly but that's kind of it's it's more of like tans and, and oranges than it is like blues or, or bright colors uh, for for a sci-fi film that's really in, intriguing um, but I would definitely if, I, I don't know necessarily how far the release is uh, if it's just on video on demand or if they're if it's getting a limited theatrical release but it's it's a film I would recommend I think I, I fall on a review score of about a, a four out of five on it um, and I would definitely say check it out I think there's a lot to like about it and enjoy about it um, Pat are you intrigued by it at all from my description Oh, yeah, definitely a little bit. Yeah, it's and it's not a super long movie either. I think it, it runs at about an hour and a half, um, maybe about an hour and 40. It, it's It's got a very competent cast. I mean, if you've got Linus Roach in there, uh, if you're not familiar with who he is, he, um, of a smaller role that most people would know him from, he played uh, Thomas Wayne in Batman Begins, um, you know, Bruce's father. And um, he was uh, actually you know, on Law and Order for a few years uh, before it ended. And um, he, he, I believe he was maybe even in Serenity. Uh, you know, he's been in a bunch of things. And he's a very competent actor. And um, I wish, there. there's kind of a, a uh, and, and this isn't spoilers, but there's kind of a little cliffhanger ending. But even though this film is, is about the two brothers, it's more really actually focused on Linus Roach's character. And the only problem with that that I have is that you don't really realize it until you get to that end, but also you don't know if through everything of the events of the film, if he's learned anything. Like, you, you get the idea that he's kind of going, okay, these revolutionaries, they kind of have a point, and um, maybe we should change the system, but... At the same time, you don't kind of get a definite answer on it, and um, I, I just I'd have to recommend the film. So, uh, like I said, if you if you um, guys get a chance to see it on VOD, or if it happens to be released at a theater, um, maybe a more independent theater, definitely get out and check it. it it's a very interesting movie. Um, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and switch gears now, and we're going to talk about Shazam. Now, Pat and I both got to see Shazam uh, a little early. Um, we were going to record this earlier, but uh, we just didn't have a, a chance to sit down together and do that. And um, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the premise of the film, if you're not familiar with it. it's um, We all have a superhero inside of us. It just takes a bit of magic to bring it out. In Billy Batson's case, by shouting out one word, Shazam, the streetwise 14-year-old foster kid can turn into an adult superhero named Shazam. Now, that's not really a great synopsis, but uh, the basic you know, idea is, if you're not familiar with the DC Comics hero, his, his original name was Captain Marvel, 
uh, and DC uh, a few years ago when they were doing the new 52 decided to um, kind of concede to Marvel Comics by, by changing his name to Shazam uh, which eh, I mean I've dealt with it I'm not too upset by it but I don't know do you have any thoughts on, on the, uh, the name change for Shazam uh, it doesn't really make too much of a difference yeah yeah, I didn't think so. Um, so, you know, the, he's now in the old DC comics. Uh, you know, Billy was was a kind of straight edge kid, like good kid, never you know treated anyone poorly or anything like that. But when the New Fifty Two decided to revamp uh, everyone's kind of origins and kind of modernize it for today's audience, they they kind of made Billy more of a conflicted character. He's a little bit more of an arrogant jerk, um, but. It actually makes sense in the sense of, you know, he, he's he got a real hero's journey. And I think that they, um, that was the right choice, especially for this movie to go with. Um, and I, I think it, it does a really good job of discussing themes of, you know, of, uh, becoming a hero, what it means to be a hero, and family. Um, and... I don't know. You got anything you, you want to add? I, I think with going off of what you're saying is for a younger audience, it kind of gives them something to go off of for dealing with conflict. And it, it's really like a lesson teacher for, for people that are in the same situation as him where he lost his mom um, at the at the carnival mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, Might have been a fair... And then he's bouncing from foster home to foster home. He's on he's on his journey to find his mom, but come to find out he was searching for her the wrong way. Yeah. But but I mean I, it does kind of give give people that sense of this. Uh, it, it's just a learning experience on dealing with conflict. Absolutely, and and you know what's really interesting. I think a great parallel. Um, between the two characters is, is the journeys that both uh, Billy and Dr. Savannah have. Now, Savannah's uh, kind of origin, again, along with the New 52, was revamped. Like, if you look at pre-New 52 comics, uh, he was more of a tiny, like, little beaver-looking uh, weasel scientist who came up with all these kind of weird inventions and was always trying to steal the power for, from Shazam!, but in the new 52 is kind of revamped. He's looking more like a regular looking guy, but also who has some power and uh, is also jealous uh, of the fact that Billy gets the uh, powers from the wizard and is doing his best to kind of, uh, you know, try to take them. But he, because the way the film opens is, you know, you're opening scene a young, uh, young Savannah and he gets the opportunity to try to become um, Shazam and sees that he fails the wizard's test. So his whole journey, his whole struggle uh, through the film is wanting to get that power. And when he, uh, and with Billy, Billy's not much different from him in the sense of personality wise. He's always trying to prove others differently like he's got his his purpose he's got his motivation but 
uh, he tends to, you know, shut others out, as you can see when he gets with the foster family, uh, the adorable Darla, who is just cute every time she's on screen, uh, you know, is trying, is trying her best to be the, the best little sister she can be, and he tries to push her away, and then you've got Freddy, who loves talking about all the superheroes and, and wants to be his friend because Freddy is an outcast, not necessarily amongst his foster family, but amongst the kids at school. And then Mary's wrapped up in her own thing, and Pedro is kind of his own thing, and Eugene is the uh, stereotypical Asian who loves video games a little too much. I thought that was a little funny. I, I would definitely have to agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, you know, he, he doesn't want to accept these people as, as his family. He's, you know, he's, his sole purpose is his mom. And then he just so happens to get these abilities. And now one complaint I, I kind of had after getting out of the film, and you feel free to agree or disagree with me on this, is uh, now it makes sense as a 14-year-old kid who now appears to be like a 30-year-old adult with superpowers would do whatever he could to make money. But I felt like it ran on a little too long. Um, it, it kind of, especially when you're getting about halfway through the movie and he still hasn't had a conflict yet with, with the villain, um, it just seems like it went on just a, a few minutes too long uh, in, the, in the story of the film because... It does a whole montage where he's doing all these tricks and they're getting YouTube views and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think it's maybe around, I don't know, I want to say after the hour mark, maybe an hour and ten minutes mark, he finally is getting a conflict with the villain. But again, it was because he was doing showy off work and the villain is, you know, just trying to track him down. Did you feel like that, that kind of show-offness uh, ran a little too long? I could see how you would say that, uh, but I, I'd have to disagree. I do think it was kind of uh, his way of expressing himself in his new form. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say it's any different than any other movie where people are trying to figure out their powers and stuff, or say Iron Man trying to figure out his suit. Yeah, I think they kind of used it for comedic effect more than anything. And you know, just like Iron Man did. And you know, the person I saw it with, uh, she she agreed as well, like with you. I mean, she she uh, thought it was perfectly fine. I just say, I mean, I wasn't like, oh my god, we got another scene where he's trying to show off or anything like that. It just, uh, I don't know. It, it felt like it just ran a little too long, but it still wasn't bad. Like the the acting in it was was still great and i think that's where this movie really shines is from the performance of of its actors zachary levi is uh is just a joy as as shazam and um and then um uh, uh, jake dylan grazer i believe is his name the, the kid from that was in uh it who plays freddie was also equally enjoyable i mean even even if you look at the ancillary cast the cast of of the foster kids every one of those kids does a great job and then you also have the foster parents uh the the one guy who is uh from the walking dead and I, the 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 foster mom is uh, is a spanish actress that i'm not too familiar with everyone does their job and they all do a great performance do you, 
agree. Oh, and not to forget John Glover. As, oh, you know that was uh, fantastic. character is dead. Yeah. I mean, it, even even in his small role, I mean, it was fantastic. It, he did his role, and it was. I mean, he's a clearly just one of the greatest of of in the cast, just from all all the things that he's done prior. To. Absolutely, I'd agree with that, and and you know, and that's what also is. Um, because you bring that up, it reminds me of a particular scene. This is a pretty uh, family-friendly film <laughs> until you get to a particular scene in a in a boardroom where uh, director David Sandberg, um, if you're not familiar with some of his previous work, he directed uh, and actually I believe wrote Lights Out, which I know I liked. I don't think you liked as much, but um, I think that was you. Did you not like Lights Out? Uh, no, I wasn't a fan. Yeah. It's one of those ones where it just solely depends on jump scares. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, it's true. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of brings his horror roots into that particular boardroom scene. So if you do have young kids that are, are kind of watching this movie, I, I mean, young in the sense of maybe like three to six, uh, they might want to have their eyes shut for that particular scene. Nothing too graphic goes on. But it, but it is a little uh, horrific, and uh, you know it can be scary for a young kid. Do, do you think? I would definitely yeah. have to agree with that. And uh, and we're not going to go into in, into any spoilers on this, but there is a, a particular um, thing that this film does that I know. Um, I was hoping it would happen. I was not expecting it to happen. It happened, and I loved it. Um, now, I was a little upset to see uh, in comment sections on, on Facebook and on YouTube. And, I mean, there's actually a YouTube video that has a thumbnail that kind of spoils this thing within the thumbnail. Now, it's not a thumbnail from the film. It's a thumbnail from the comics, but if you see it, you know exactly what it means and I think that that spoils it for everyone. And and I, I, when I got home and I was just looking on to see the critic reviews for Shazam after the advanced screening, I was scrolling through the comments. And of course, you know, this bit me in the butt with uh, Star Wars Force Awakens by looking at comments about something that wasn't even related to Star Wars. Um, someone posted a picture in there and then they talked about it. And I'm like, dude, this movie still doesn't come out for another two weeks. Why are you spoiling this for everyone else that hasn't had a chance to see the movie? You know, I, I so I, I just that that frustrates me. You got anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I would definitely have to agree that I hate when people blatantly spoil things just for their own amusement. But I would like to add that. Although it would have been awesome, uh, you do not get to see Dwayne Rock Johnson as Black Adam. Yeah, I agree. It's not really a spoiler because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, but I was hoping for an after credit scene, even though there, even though it, it wasn't expected. Uh, I I coined a new term. Uh, I coined it after um, after uh, the Last Jedi. I call it anti spoilers, uh, where you know. When you're watching The Last Jedi, if, if you've not uh, 
seen The Last Jedi, or if you were watching The Last Jedi for the first time, and they're talking to Maz, and Maz is talking about this master code breaker. In my mind, as I was sitting in the theater, I was going, oh my god, it's Lando Calrissian, it's Lando Calrissian, and no, it's not. It's not Lando Calrissian at all. I immediately, like, my coworker who had not seen uh, Last Jedi yet when it had come out, uh, I immediately, like, went over and I said, I'm going to tell you something. It is not a spoiler. In fact, it is an anti-spoiler. If you're thinking it's Lando Calrissian, it is not Lando Calrissian. Um, but they do kind of get The Rock in there a little bit as Black Adam uh, at the beginning. I believe it's at the beginning um, when the wizard is explaining to I believe young Savannah um, it's it's just a kind of like a magical CGI rendering it kind of looks like him but it doesn't um, but I agree I was really holding out for the fact that I was like oh maybe we'll get to see him in you know just even a quick glimpse and no you don't get that yeah even even like seeing him in passing yeah like not as black and yeah would have been awesome but well you know um and and i have to i do plan on taking my dad to go see it um because he's been liking the dc movies he loved aquaman um there my co-workers saw saw this when when uh we saw the movie together and um i didn't catch it but i need to look for it again but she's convinced in the scene with the bus that she actually saw the wizard. I believe she said she thinks she saw him on the bus. That it was a really quick shot. That uh, there was a guy that looked exactly like the wizard with the beard and the hair and everything. But I didn't see it, so I, I don't know if that was in there. Did you happen to, to catch that at all? No. Not. No, I didn't catch it. Okay. I, I'd have to watch it again and be like looking for it to see what she's talking about yeah same here and and you know and that would be really really interesting to see if that actually is the case um i know that and, it, and i find this uh like ludicrous i understand the point that that um production companies are doing this but the pre-orders for the home release are already up and you know i think i i don't know i think i was having a discussion or i saw somebody on twitter talking about this and I have to agree with them 100% where it was like back when like you and I were kids and I mean I'm, I'm only a little bit older than you uh, so I know you experienced this too um, when movies were released in theaters when we were kids and they ended their theatrical run we had to wait like almost six months uh, or sometimes even a year before they'd actually release now you have the production companies releasing the pre-orders and the movie's out in like two months uh you know after it after it ends its theatrical run and i don't know if that i don't know if it cheapens it but i like i i feel like the modern day audience now is kind of spoiled to the fact that things are released so instantly especially now with digital the fact that digital is now like even two weeks earlier than the physical release or even sometimes three weeks earlier than physical releases of, of movies it's really weird that we have this instantaneous access uh to to films I, i'd have to agree with you um i do think that it's a lot different now and uh, uh, most of it i think is because of how everyone wants the instant access to everything in their house 
Um, a lot of people haven't been caring for the cinematography that you get in the theater with the sound and everything, which is, I mean, it's always going to be superior to anything you have in your right. house. But at the same time, you also have middle class and upper middle class people that have, like, in-home cinemas. Like, it's not far-fetched to have that anymore with in this day and age. Well, and as you so, know, I mean, uh, that's my plan. You know, my, my plan when uh, I eventually, you know, don't have student loans and stuff to pay, uh, I plan on, on uh, building uh, probably a fairly expensive home theater in, in a house at some point. Um, so I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like, people like the comfort of their own home paying 15, 20 bucks for a movie for as many people as they can invite over right? versus going to the theater, paying 20 bucks per ticket, paying 20 bucks for popcorn and a drink, and then it's, it, at the end of the day, you're, you're out probably 60 bucks if you're bringing someone with you. Unless you have, like, one of those uh, subscription services, like uh, the AMC A-List uh, Stubbs membership or, like, my uh, Cinemark Movie Club, which I have to uh, to get a, a, a little angry at them uh, for the Avengers Endgame uh, pre-sale tickets. Um, because I would think, since I'm pl- paying... Now, granted, I'm not paying a super expensive amount of money for my movie club membership. It's one of the reasons why I have my movie club membership. But when um, you are paying for a monthly subscription and tickets are going on pre-sale, I would think that, one, you should open it up to your subscription members first, even if it's just a half hour. You know, a half hour early before everyone else. I think that that's perfectly reasonable, especially for such a high-profile movie as something like Avengers Endgame. And especially knowing that Avengers Endgame was going to uh, sell as many tickets as as it sold or is going to sell uh, eventually for the full opening weekend. I mean, it's projected at like an $800 million opening weekend, which is just insane. And uh, the fact that I had to go through... I was doing three different things at work when the tickets went on sale. I was on my phone trying to get on through my uh, Cinemark app that I it kept logging me out of because of the, the timeouts that it was having. I was trying to do it on my work computer through Cinemark's website, and it wouldn't even let me get past the ticket selection screen. And then I had to do it through Fandango. And so I didn't even get to use the perks of my movie club membership um but with that said i mean i was able to get my my two tickets uh i'm a little worried though since i was doing it through fandango that like when i go there on the thursday night screening somehow my tickets are going to be double booked with someone else and then i'm going to have a whole you know frustrating issue there but uh i i will now that i've kind of complained about how they mishandled that situation and they weren't the only ones that mishandled it i mean amc had its issues as well fandango even had its issues i don't know how i managed to actually get my tickets through fandango but um i know everyone was having issues with it but with my complaints to the side it is nice uh as you said like you don't want to be spending 60 bucks on a on a movie night 
But with my movie club membership, my tickets are eight ninety nine for any basically any movie unless it's like a Fathom event, um, and I get twenty percent off concessions. So, you know, it's nice to. I mean, at most, like last you know, with last night with Pet Cemetery, I got basically everything for thirteen bucks. So I mean, one ticket and a vitamin water, and that was it. You know, um, so it is nice when you have those membership services, and they're not. See, that's why I can't do AMC A-list because I believe it's like twenty bucks a month. Yeah, you get premium formats um, such as IMAX and, and stuff like that, and uh, you know, quick lines for the concessions. Um, I, I can't justify paying twenty bucks a month. Eight ninety nine, yeah, I, I can deal with that. Yeah, I, with the with the whole subscription services to certain theaters or even like movie pass, I, I think that it's what it all boils down to for me is that they will they'll start changing their terms of service. Yeah, because of that movie pass in particular, they've like changed how they operate. They're still because failing. They going, yeah, they yeah they were going into debt through what they were offering. Mm-hmm. So, and that's my my only hold up with that. Well, see now, something like I I think the problem with Movie Pass is Movie Pass was supposed to be something that was like uh, universal. You could use it at any theater for any type of thing for like the two D movies, uh, you know, non IMAX, non three D, uh, and it was supposed to be cheap. I wouldn't ever put my trust in that, especially now. Like every time I see a movie pass thing on my Facebook, everyone is uh, usually got the the buddy the elf gif uh, or gif on there um, saying you sit on a throne of lies, um, because they've uh, they've had the issues with like there's no showtime in, in your no showtimes in your area. If you do it through the particular movie theater, especially one that you frequent on pretty much normally normal basis like i do with cinemark um you're not facing those issues of well there's no screenings in your area even though there's screenings in your area or or stuff like that and i think that that's why the individual theater subscription services are really killing something like movie pass yeah i i could definitely see that being true especially with how poorly MoviePass has handled all of the situations with changing from the amount of movies that you can see, yeah. and then you get pro, you just get your stuff prorated, and mm-hmm. it's just a mess with them. Well, and like uh, you know, like you said, the number of movies, you know, with with my movie club, it's and this isn't meant to be promoting movie club. But I guess uh, you know, if they ever want to sponsor the show, I, I won't ever turn that down. But um, you know, the the movie club. Uh, membership it doesn't limit you to the number of movies like it's 899 a ticket even for a 3d movie uh and you know you get your free ticket a month and uh you can roll those over if you don't use it i typically end up using it because it's part of the reason now why i go to the movies in the theater a whole lot is because i've got this membership so i need to be taking advantage of it and there are really no real like limitations like i've seen with movie pass so um, now to get off that that little high horse or, or whatever you want to call it, we're gonna move into uh, 
my oh well we didn't give our review scores for Shazam. So my my review score for Shazam I believe is a four point five out of five. I think the only thing that I really take off is I just felt like that that middle bit of of the movie with him just kind of joking around and, and doing all the things for show just ran on just a tad long. But I mean it's still enjoyable. Like I said, the performances are really great. Uh, you'll love the family. The villain is. I've seen some conflicting things where people don't think the villain's really fleshed out and doesn't have any motivations, and I've seen other people that say, oh, he's really motivated and, you know, really well fleshed out. I, I think I fall down in the middle of that a little bit. I think he's fleshed out. I think his motivations are, are there, but he's not anything, like, too ridiculous. And also, this film, you know, the big complaint about the DC movies were that they took themselves too seriously. This film certainly doesn't do that. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Anyone can just sit there and enjoy and have a good time. It's got some really funny comedy in it. And like I said, the cast all works out. So I, I'm going to go with a 4.5 out of 5. What about you? I will also go with a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, I will just criticize your your uh, critique <laughs> of the the middle portion yeah. because you are also the same person that likes the DVR scene in Justice League versus Teen Titans. Hey, hey, so, come on now. I, I like that. That's I, like as a former DDR player. Useless information. <laughs> as a former DDR player, come on. I, I loved it. I, I loved the DDR in high school. I'm sorry. If it ever made a comeback, I would be doing it again. Um, <laughs> all right, so. And, 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 you know, as some people are saying that this is the best out of the DCEU, um, I, I I think it, it kind of goes up there with Aquaman. I think Aquaman, and this isn't the discount Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman was their first real strike with gold. Now, as you know, I loved Man of Steel. I love Batman v Superman. I love Justice League for what Justice League was, although I wish we could have seen what Zack Snyder really intended to do with Justice League. But I feel like with Aquaman and definitely with with Shazam uh, and Suicide Squad I enjoy Suicide Squad even despite Suicide Squad having faults it's a nice you can turn your brain off type film and just enjoy it um, regardless of if you like Jared Leto's Joker or not um, the, it seems like they really are starting to hit their stride and I think that a lot of this has to do with Walter Hamada taking over um you know, someone like the previous guy who was in charge of, of Warner Brothers for their for their film department, especially for the comic books, uh, Kevin Tishiaro, who's got himself in some uh, you know trouble right now. Uh, he only cared about the bottom line. He just wanted these movies to make money, and that was it. Like he didn't care about what the directors were doing with it. He didn't want it to be a super long movie. He just wanted it. All right, let's let's make the money that Marvel's making, but not do any of the work that Marvel's put into their movies. Now you got Walter Hamada in there, and Walter Hamada is, I think, exercising or at least validating the reason why they chose him to succeed Kevin Tishihara, and uh, and he's proven with Aquaman and with uh, Shazam that DC can make these really good movies, and I've seen some comparisons that Shazam is like some of the early Marvel movies where... Uh, you know, they were very just enjoyable films introducing you to the character and, um, and, you know, it's, it's just a really great, uh, entry into the DC cinematic universe. I think it does, um, kind of 
it's a little wishy-washy on continuity right now, um, but that's just a... That's whatever. I mean, it still acknowledges events that happened within the film series. It's going to be really interesting to see how they handle with uh, with the Batman and uh, the recasting of uh, Ben Affleck as Batman and what they're going to do with uh, Henry Cavill as Superman for the DCEU. But I think we're in a really great place for uh, future um, DC all right, so, you know, it, it, it's definitely one to go check out in the theaters. And quite frankly, uh, if you're deciding between Shazam or Pet Cemetery um, as the movie you want to see on a weekend, I'm going to say Shazam, as uh, you'll find out here shortly when I discuss uh, Pet Cemetery. Um, Pat, have, are you intrigued in seeing Pet Cemetery at all? I was until you started telling me that it was not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm afraid that, I like, I don't want that necessarily to ever turn anybody off of a film, per se. Because, as you know, and I, I said this on Twitter uh, last night when I was having some discussions with people with my reactions after walking out of the theater, I never want to tell anyone not to see a movie. Now, there's personal movies, as you know, that I, I refuse to watch, such as, like, The Interview. Uh, with uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen because I was against that movie 100% even just hearing about it. Um, but, yeah, you know, this this the reactions it got at South by Southwest, I mean, some people I follow on Twitter who managed to see it early, everyone was raving about Pet Cemetery Remake. Now, the major controversy that I had with Pet Cemetery, and if you're familiar with um, Crystal's... Uh, show um horror nights and podcast uh we talked about the second trailer when that had dropped um i can't remember exactly what episode that was on but she had me discuss it and i got very uh worked up about it and let's just say that my my workup about that is is equally um the same if not more um so i'm gonna say a brief spoiler here from that second trailer so if you do not want anything spoiled and you have not seen that second trailer, jump ahead a couple minutes and, um, and we'll get back to just talking about my thoughts on the film. But that second trailer, again, spoiler, spoiler alert, so jump ahead. Um, that second trailer revealed that they switched which of the young kids gets run over by the truck. They switched it from Gage to being Ellie, the daughter. And the real issues I have with that is within the... the source material of the book Ellie is the one who tries to make sure or she's the one who receives visions uh, from Pascal, the character Pascal uh, to get Rachel, the mother, back to prevent uh, Lewis from burying Gage and bringing Gage back to life um, and that really upset me I thought that was a big change from the source material I think that revealed too much in the trailer and at the time when I talked with Crystal on her show I said that should have been something that was left out because it would have been better for us to have discovered that twist in the theater rather than us seeing it a couple months before the movie releases and then to fulminate on that change and uh, to kind of decide we don't like it. When we're in the movie and we see it happen, we 
are going to react a little bit differently. We might have about the same visceral reaction, but since it's not something that we've seen out of context from the rest of the film, we can't necessarily then theorize what they're doing with the rest of the movie. Um, so with that said, okay, my that was my thoughts on the trailer. Unfortunately, that trailer, I think, colored the rest of my opinion for the film of itself. And so the basic premise, if you're not familiar with the novel or the original 1989 film, a, a family moves out into kind of the boonies in uh, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Massachusetts or Maine. Uh, I know they come from Boston um, to Ludlow, and I can't re- quite remember if they're in Ludlow, Massachusetts, or Ludlow, Maine, because a lot of you know Stephen King's works uh, take place in Maine. Um, but anyways, that's kind of regardless of of, of what you know, the rest of the movie uh, pertains to, but they, uh, on their property, there is a, a pet cemetery where the locals have, you know, buried all their deceased pets. And, uh, and this isn't spoiling anything away because I'm sure everyone is at least familiar with the trailer. Their cat is, uh, gets hit by a truck or at least gets run over. And their neighbor, Judd Crandall, who's lived there all of his life, knows about the ancient burial ground that's past the actual pet cemetery. And um, if you bury something there in that ground, it comes back. But they don't come back the same. And this has a the two directors. I, I love their um, one of their prior works called Starry Eyes. It's a very interesting body horror. Uh, guess it's not really body horror it's more maybe possession horror um film about an actress who will do anything to make her big role they're they're very talented directors and their directing is not bad uh, i mean it's very competent directing it's very competent cinematography the acting is is wishy-washy more towards the third act of the film um but what really, really hurts this movie are the changes to the source material. Um, and, and in fact, like, you know, it's, it's really hard, especially with the original being as, in my opinion, and I don't think that this is everyone's opinion. Uh, in fact, I saw someone's opinion uh, on Twitter, and it's not necessarily invalid, that they thought the original's acting was wooden and that it wasn't that great and that... You know, it, it's a little dated. That that stuff may be all true, but that film is still terrifying. I mean, it, I, I watched it recently as I was, uh, once I had finished uh, actually reading the book, unfortunately for the first time, I can't believe it had taken me so long to read um, that book. But uh, it does enough, it, it does enough justice to the source material, and it's still a little terrifying um that it, it, it still works, in my opinion, to this day. Now, as for this remake, you know, you've got uh, John Lithgow playing Judd Crandall. It's fine. He's, he does a, a really good job in the role, but part of the problem that I have with him playing Judd Crandall is the fact that he does not have the accent that, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now, but the original actor who played Judd Crandall in the original, uh, he had the perfect Judd Crandall accent. Um, Jason Clark as Lewis Creed is is good through a good portion of the film, but then 
his acting just really falls off, or especially again, like once you get into that third act. The third act is, I think, where the film really falls apart, or at least once the change from the trailer, um, or the change you see from the trailer uh, takes place within the movie, that's where the movie starts to come apart. Um, and you have Amy Simitz, or Simitz, uh, I can't, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name, playing Rachel Creed. She does a very, uh, very good job um, with her performance. I think she's probably one of the strongest out of the main cast. Um, she really sells the horror of the Trump trauma through her childhood. But the film is not, overall, it's not really scary. I've seen a lot of people, um, and this will be something we discuss when we when we have our, our Us episode, um, roundtable discussion. A lot of people talking about this being a, a terrifying film. And it's, it's really not. There are some really good effective scenes, much like there are in Us. Um, there's some really intriguing shots. Uh, there's a sequence where um, Rachel is hearing noises up on the roof, but there's no like attic because they're kind of living in a barn-style house. Um, and then she goes into the bathroom, and she it, it sounds like it's a, a dumbwaiter elevator. Um, and this is something that plays into the backstory with her and her sister. But she opens up the uh, medicine cabinet mirror, and instead of seeing, you know, like what you normally see within a medicine cabinet, shelves and medication stuff, it's actually like looking into an elevator shaft. And it's just really well shot, especially when it trans changes the angle and you're looking from within the, in the um, shaft out at her. So there are some really good cinematography uh, pieces, but there's also some really bad CGI sequences. And I don't know why they use these CGI sequences. Uh, the, the truck accident in particular just looks absolutely awful and there's some just really bad green screen moments um, the stuff with the cat is, is really good but again like there are just changes that they make that don't make sense and ultimately where the movie fails is the ending um, with again it's just all the changes they make and the changes they make they don't make sense um not and I'm, i don't want to get political about it but i feel like there were reasons why they made the changes that they made uh politically um i might get into that in the spoiler section of the episode but uh it just didn't work it just didn't work for me i i was bored uh I don't normally do this, but I check my watch at, at, during about, I think it was like halfway through the movie. I'm just sitting there going, how much time do I have left in this film? And I don't like doing that. I mean, if a movie like Boyhood that's over almost three hours, if not over three hours long, can keep me captivated for that entire time, how does something that is in about an hour and 40 minutes feel like it's, it's longer than Boyhood? I mean, it just did not work. Uh, it didn't fire on all cylinders. It starts out fine. It, it, it develops the characters. It, it does take some things from the book that I had wished had been in the original and puts it in there. But it doesn't. still doesn't do justice to the book at all. And quite frankly, it elevates the original even more i mean it makes the original seem like almost a masterpiece compared to this film and that's what upsets me is I've, i mean i've seen these critics on there and, and in fact this is what really frustrates me is before i went to go see it 
because you know me, I, I like to look at the Rotten Tomatoes. I don't necessarily p- put my faith in Rotten Tomatoes, but I, I do look at the Rotten Tomatoes kind of score and the critics' consensus. And the critics' consensus on this is sometimes remade is better. And there were a lot of critics that said the remake is better. And I'm sitting there, especially after the movie, and I'm like, this was a piece of horseshit. Now, this was not a great movie. And you know me. Uh, you can attest to this. I buy most of the movies I watch, even if I don't necessarily 100% like it. I don't think I'm going to buy this movie. Do, can you attest that to that, uh, 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 that I do that? That I own movies that I don't necessarily really like, but I feel like I need to own? Oh, definitely. But I also think that when they're saying sometimes remade is better, they might be referring to a completely different movie. Mm. They're not, because the, 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 um, the line from the movie is sometimes dead is better. So they're quoting the film and they're, and they're doing it to sh- to kind of be like joking with it saying, or at least like being like, haha, you know, this is the best way to do it. And, and I just, it just doesn't work. I mean, it, it's a lot of misfires. The, the characters are, they start out sympathetic. Uh, I mean, I think the only character that remains sympathetic through, I'd say, 95% of the movie is is Rachel. Um, Lewis starts out sympathetic, but then just completely, you could care less for him when you get to the, the second half of the film. Judd, uh, they do some stuff with the backstory for him that I, I, I thought was maybe missing from the original, but they uh, they don't really make him as good of a character like one of the the tenants from the book and i think even they do a good job of the in the original movie is they establish a really nice friendship between him and lewis so that it makes sense that he would tell lewis about the pet cemetery about about the micmac burial ground in fact you don't even get the the name of the tribe they don't even mention the micmacs uh which i mean it's not a it's a fictional indian tribe but it's a Micmac burial ground and they just call it a burial ground and that the tribe left, you know, so many years ago because the ground went sour. Um, but it just doesn't do a good job of developing that friendship and that trust between the two characters. Uh, you know, for a movie that it felt like it ran on too long at the same time, it felt a little rushed in some of the aspects. Uh, so, you know, originally (laughs) for my review score, I was taking two points off for the, the change itself, but I think I finally land, especially after reaching the end, I think I land on a a 2.5 out of 5. I think that's where I, I fall on that film. It, it's really upsetting. I wanted to like this movie so much. I got hyped from that first trailer. I got disappointed by that second trailer. And I think had they not shown that second trailer, or at least shown what they showed in that second trailer, I could have maybe been more sympathetic to the movie, or at least I wouldn't have had such a knee-jerk or visceral reaction to it. Um, But I just, I I can't really recommend it. I mean, like I said, I don't like to tell people not to go see a movie. So if you're questioning it on seeing this in the theaters, I'd say go see Shazam. If you don't want to spend money to see Pet Cemetery, wait for it to come out on streaming services. We know, like we discussed earlier, that's going to be out on home services here within probably three months. 
you can afford it when it's on Netflix or you can afford it when it shows up on Amazon Prime. Um, so before I go into uh, uh, spoilers about the movie, uh, Pat, do you have anything you want to say about my my uh, my review? I would definitely say that I'm taking it into consideration and that I will most likely I'll most likely wait to see it when it comes to probably a streaming service. Uh, but if I find some spare time, I might go see it in theaters still, simply because it is still a Pet Cemetery remake. Yeah, I mean, if you can see it on, a, like, a discount Tuesday, or, like, with my Cinemark, if I had a, a free credit uh, ticket, I would probably use it on it. I, personally, I won't go see it again in theaters. Uh, I'm I'm not even sure I'll pick it up uh, on home release. I might, because... You know, uh, Overlord, which, I mean, I gave it uh, on my Twitter review, I think I gave it a 4 out of 5. And even though, excuse me, I, I did not uh, personally like some of the things they did with it, when it when I got it uh, on home release and I rewatched it, I enjoyed it more the second time. So, part of it could possibly just be, I don't like the changes, and I don't feel like it was truly... Um, faithful to the source material i don't understand the points of the changes and like i said i'll go maybe into that in the spoiler section um i just didn't feel like it 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 did what it needed to do again much like people were saying about us it's they're saying it's it's such a scary movie it's not it's really not there's just a lot of dark scenes um and they the only maybe effective scares are the zelda scenes and um, but that's it. You know, when you take away a certain factor, um, that is what made the book and the original so creepy, uh, it, it hurts the rest of the film. And I just wish I knew why they felt like they needed to make these changes. Um, so that's gonna, that's gonna be my review for Pet Cemetery. I hope I haven't upset anyone with it. Um, I might upset more people once I talk spoilers. Uh, but I just... Um, I, I felt like this was a misfire completely. I'd rather rewatch it. I mean, it is... Not that I hated it. I loved it. I think it is probably one of the best uh, adaptations. And as much of a fan of the original It, um, the It 2017 movie was pretty darn close to as much of a faithful adaptation of of Stephen King's work and uh, you know with with something like that and it having a, a previous version of it I can at least hold those two together and go okay this is what I like about the TV miniseries that I really enjoyed this is what I like about the, the remake uh, for the film now it could fall apart when it part two comes out later this year but I don't have a feeling like that's actually going to happen. So, um, all right. Now, if you're not going to stick around for the spoiler section of the show, um, that's going to do it for us tonight on this episode of Critics Not Cynics. Um, I want to thank Pat for for being on here again. Uh, we're going to, you know, he's going to be on for quite a few more episodes and definitely on a more regular basis when uh, he's back in uh, good old Ohio and not in the uh, gang-filled New York, right, Pat? Oh, definitely. Can't wait to be back. I know. I know we're all looking forward to you to be back here. Um, All right, guys. So 
Uh, if you can, uh, just you know, you can find me on uh, SoundCloud, and um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. And if you ever uh, have any questions, thoughts, or anything you want to express on the show, you can always email me at criticsnotcynics at gmail dot com. Um, you know, I'd love to kind of read your guys's questions or thoughts on on air and uh, kind of have more interaction with the audience. Um, you know, still working on getting this into iTunes. I know, uh, and I think we'll have some issues on this one as well with some static. I'm doing my best to, to kind of get this stuff taken care of, guys. But uh, until I get better equipment, it's just going to have to do for now. Uh, I, I don't want it to last forever, but we'll, we'll get it all straightened out eventually. You know, still early days for the show. All right. So with that, I'll say goodbye to the guys that aren't sticking around uh, to the spoiler section. Alright guys, here here are my spoiler thoughts. You do not change the kid being killed from Gage to Ellie. One, one of the most terrifying things about the book, and the terrifying thing about the original um, movie, is the fact that the, the kid is two years old, and terrified, and, uh, and murders people. I mean, the, and, and this still has kind of an effective killing of Judd Crandall but it's not as good as the original with Nico Hughes playing Gage um, it just kind of falls apart now they do kind of do a nice little nod to the original which I thought was kind of cool where in the original uh, Judd is up in his bedroom and Gage is hiding under the bed and that's where he cuts his Achilles tendon and then you know proceeds to pounce on him Judd walks up into the bedroom excuse me uh there's a shot from under the bed that's misleading you to think that the the ankle scene is coming up um and then he kicks the bed uh, you know to kind of reveal that no one's underneath there would have been great and all but they still kind of spoiled that within the trailer that judd is attacked on the steps by ellie and it just it just all falls apart with these changes that they make um in fact it gets even more ridiculous. I'm fine with the fact that, you know, Ellie kills Rachel because Rachel dies in the book. And and then uh, Lewis buries her, and then it kind of ends on a cliffhanger because he thinks, well, he buried her, you know, so soon to her dying that she'll come back normal. Uh, and it doesn't quite really work that way. Um, but then you have Ellie go and bury... Uh, Rachel in the pet cemetery while Lewis is knocked out and Lewis then you know wakes up comes into the pet cemetery and is fighting with Ellie he almost wins and all of a sudden he gets stabbed through the heart with a poker and you find it's the resurrected Rachel that has murdered him and um, prior to that um, Lewis had put Gage in the car again why would Rachel have brought uh, Gage with her to the house if she's suspecting something's wrong with Lewis? <coughs> and um, and Lewis even specifically says, "Hey, don't open up the car uh, for anyone except me. Not even Ellie. Not even Mom." Um, and of course, you're expecting a two-year-old to fully comprehend these warnings from from their father. Uh, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. 
but um, I um, you get the final scene, and they had buried Lewis within the the pet cemetery within the Micmac burial ground, and then all three of them are kind of walking out, and uh, and then he puts the hands on the door to have Creed or uh, Gage, sorry, um, open the door and let him in. It, it, and then it just ends like it, it just it doesn't make sense these choices that they made these changes that they made make absolutely no sense whatsoever to the overall narrative and i'm a big jason clark fan and i was liking him through 90 almost 95 percent of the movie but once he gets to after ellie's death i he, his acting just starts to become horrible um and it just doesn't it just doesn't work a lot of this just doesn't work i you know and like i was saying earlier in the non-spoiler section you know they didn't fully develop the friendship with with judd and why he felt like i mean uh, in the uh, i can't quite remember from the book because it was a couple months ago i finished the book but i know in the original movie judd nods off trying to keep an eye on Lewis to make sure that he doesn't bury the kid up in the burial ground. In this, you have Lewis drug Judd so that he can then go dig up Ellie and bury Ellie in the in the burial ground and bring her back. And there's just not enough of an explanation about the burial ground. There is some little research parts that uh, Lewis goes through, which kind of, you know, it's, it's throwbacks to kind of explanations within the book but it doesn't do enough like uh, an audience isn't just going to sit there and try to read an article that's shown for about five seconds and then fully get the impact of what that meant uh i i do like that they brought the wendigo portion of, of the book into it but again they don't do any justice to it now the book doesn't go too far into details with the wendigo but I, it just if you're going to introduce it introduce it they do not do enough with Pascal to really get the idea that Pascal is this kind of uh, warning spirit to try to make sure that Lewis, like they, they set it up, but in the original movie and within the book, it's Pascal is far more influential. And, and, and I mean, yes, he does fail from being able to prevent Lewis from burying uh, their child. He at least was more of an impact than he was in this movie and uh and there are just scenes where they use cgi and you just don't understand why they're using the cgi i mean why did you have to have the truck trailer come off the truck you couldn't just have had the truck run over ellie i mean that's what's the the <coughs> excuse me again the greatest thing about the original and, and gage's death is that you don't even see the truck hit gage you hear the brake slam, and you, he you see the reactions, and all you see is the shoe. The shoe just kind of turning around. And that is enough to instill the horror. Whereas this, you have the truck trailer come sliding off, Ellie trying to run from it with really horrible CGI. And then you have the parents coming over to find her body, that doesn't have a single mark on it that you can see. So you've got an R rating. You do bring some gore into it near the end. Still not a whole lot of gore in this movie. The original is far more gorier than this one. 
and it just didn't work it didn't work at all and it's a shame because this had so much potential i'd rather watch pet cemetery 2 20 times compared to this one because at least pet cemetery 2 is far more enjoyable even though it's ridiculous and ludicrous and it has edward furlong who hasn't done a good movie since terminator 2 judgment day um so i hate to hate on this movie so much but this is what happens when you take source material and you decide to change it and, it, and my feeling is that they wanted to go political with it because and again guys i don't want to go political with the show but when moves like this moves like they made with captain marvel politics happen to just kind of insert themselves into these things but i felt like they they decided that it needed to be political that they needed to make the killer a young girl instead of a young boy now it works in the sense of certain lines that they needed to have the kid to say to judd but again they have a, a whole scene where her face transforms into norma judd's uh, dead wife and they have a whole nother actor saying these lines you could have done that with gage i mean if you're going to transform the kid's face why don't you just do that um also what's the whole point of the kids wearing the 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 mask and and doing their funeral procession the trailer implied that these kids were going to play actually more of an import into the story and they don't they serve no purpose so you switch a very key part to the book and to the original movie for maybe political purposes maybe not political purposes but then okay the point of ellie was to be the one who actually saw pascal and trying and having dreams about pascal and um trying to warn rachel that uh that something bad was supposed to happen how do you have a two-year-old effectively do that you don't you can't have a two-year-old, the two-year-old, the young Gage just says, Pascal, Pascal. And then Rachel, who had a conversation maybe months ago with her husband, just happens to remember that, oh, the kid that got hit and that uh, Lewis failed to save, his name was Pascal. But that has no bearing of the entire film. You haven't discussed the character for the entire length of the film other than that part at, oh, at, near the beginning. And now you're at the like hour and 10 minute mark and you've got 20 to 30 minutes left in the movie and now it's this important thing you know i'm i'm sorry i don't remember certain things like that i i have a bad memory if someone tells me a name i i met a uh, an intern last year and i didn't know her name for over a month until i actually started having interactions with her because i don't instill kind of an import to an intern or into a worker that i don't directly have any type of a correlation with within the work uh place so it's just a little frustrating that they made these changes it felt unnecessary um oh there was another point i was going to make in here and, and i've gone on rambling too much that i'm not sure what it was but um the movie is just ultimately a failure in my opinion and i don't know if it's i don't want to say it's the director's fault because the directors, like I said, they did Starry Eyes. I absolutely love that movie. It's a slow burn. Uh, but it's still a fantastic movie. So I want to put the blame on the on the writers of this film. And now I didn't see Prodigy in theaters. But I heard a lot of complaints about that movie. And from what I understand, 
I don't have it in front of me right now, but those the people that wrote the Prodigy wrote the Pet Cemetery remake. So if that is the case, then this needed a whole different uh, writing treatment altogether. It just needed to go through a couple more reworks. Someone should have been in there saying, "Hey, this change does not work." I don't. I can't imagine how this. How, I don't understand how this sat well with critics, and how this reviewed well with critics, and why critics are calling this a scary movie when it's clearly not a scary movie. Now, and I've said this before, and I'm, I'm promoting the Us episode too much. This is going to be a big topic point for the Us movie. I'm on a proponent side of thinking that Us was was pretty darn fine. I don't, I didn't find it scary, but I understand what their scary moments were. Uh, but we're going to address that non-scary parts in, in that episode as well. Um, but I just, I, I'm sorry, guys. It, it just failed. It failed altogether. Um, this is probably hands down the worst Stephen King adaptation um, that I have seen that has been put on film. It just is. And I hate to say that. And I know a lot of people were really, uh, really surprised by my my um, my Twitter response after I got out of the movie theater yesterday. I said, oh boy, do I have thoughts about this movie. And certainly you guys have certainly heard my thoughts if you've stuck around here for the spoiler section. Um, so I... Uh, I just wish it would have been better. That's all I can say. I don't particularly root for a movie to fail. Uh, this is just not a strong adaptation. It is not a strong movie. It has too many weak points, and there's not enough likability in the film. And I'm someone who can find a lot of likability in, in films. So um, that is kind of the whole reason for the, the 2.5 score. Um, I may revisit it. I may pick it up. Uh, on on 4K home release, uh, if it if it's cheap, um, if it's not cheap, I don't know. Um, Pat, do you have any final thoughts based off off of what I've said? Uh, spoilers wise, I know I I kind of went on a huge tirade there. Well, I know before you were trying to figure out where it took place, uh, I did look it up for you. It it was Maine. Okay. They were moving, moving from Massachusetts to Maine, and then, uh, other than that, um, it, it sounds like they didn't take the source material seriously. I know a lot of movies that do, and and I do appreciate when they do. So mm -hmm. I, it's going to be interesting to watch when I finally get around to it. Well, and that was my that was my complaint in the in my uh, Captain Marvel spoiler section. Where you gender swapped Marvel to fit in a particular um, possibly political agenda, and and I don't want politics within my movies unless it's like a political thriller or something like that. Um, when you're disrespecting the source material in that way, that's like saying, "Hey, I could write it better." And Stephen King is such an established writer and is probably my all-time favorite writer. Um, to me, when you make a, a huge change such as that, to me, that's a middle finger to, uh, Stephen King. Yeah, I definitely think that they, they should have taken it more seriously, but I don't, 
I, I could see why they would want to do it in today's climate just because of how everything has been. Well, and I mean, I, I understand made. that you want to make, if you're making a remake, you want to make changes. You want to make things so that it's a little bit fresher for an audience. And I will say probably a modern audience that's not familiar with the original, not familiar with the book, they're going to love this movie. They're going to love it, and then they're going to watch the original, they're going to read the book, and they're going to hate it. Uh, the, the original in the book. They'll hate those. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's wrong. And, and, yeah, I agree. They want to make changes changes that fit within the particular climate. Uh, and there, There's nothing wrong with that. If this had been a completely original movie, and this was how it played out, I probably wouldn't have the problems I have with it. Because it's original it's it's not based off of anything particular but when you're making an adaptation like i'll i'll use evil dead the evil dead remake was probably one of the best remakes for a horror film uh or especially a horror classic like evil dead because it did enough to change the essential story but keep what people loved about the original but, but take it in a different direction, you know, and, and introduce... Because, you know, you do have a female protagonist within that film. In fact, she's that's what they changed that makes it so interesting, is you have her become a Deadite. Uh, the very first Deadite in the movie. And you see her personal journey through the whole, whole thing, and it works. Fidi Alvarez works magic on that film. And, and another reboot, and this may be an unpopular opinion... That I thought that did a great job, uh, even though it made a change that I wasn't too much of a fan of, was the Robocop remake. The Robocop remake changed enough of its essential story to adapt it to a modern time. Um, and the only change I, I didn't quite like was the fact that they made Lewis a male officer, because that was one of the, the kind of selling points, or not one of the selling points, but one of the things I liked so much about the original Robocop movies was Lewis and, and her relationship with. Uh, Robocop, and right now I can't think of of, uh, uh, of his name. It's Alex. Um, oh God. I. Regardless, we're not talking about Robocop. Um, but you know, it's fine to make updates to make it fit with a modern audience. But when you're adapting straight from source material like a book, it's those changes that essentially changed the entire narrative that really upset me so all right uh those are my final thoughts you got any final words uh no but i i do think that with how remakes have been going it will definitely be interesting to see how they do the uh the remake for chucky yeah you know that's 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 the next one that's the next one I'm, i'm a little bit iffy on um I, I know that it's, I think it's going away from more of the, the, uh, this possessed soul aspect to more of a, like, I think it's like a evil AI, but the fact that they have, uh, Mark Hamill, um, voicing Chucky, I think that's going to be a big selling point. And where I will be probably more okay with a, a Child's Play remake is the fact that, okay, Child's Play in of itself is, is a movie. So it's not translated from a book. It's not got a, essentially a Bible 
per se, to where it got its its story from. So it's fine. To t- I think in in this aspect, when you're when you're remaking a film from a film, um, you have a little bit more leeway with it because it's just you're trying to have more interpretation with it. And in fact, I think that they uh, Don Mancini, the original creator of Child's Play, if I have that correct, uh, he's got a TV show that's going to be coming out on Sci-Fi that's going to be set within the original world of the original Child's Play uh, movies and its subsequent sequels, so that even if you don't like the Child's Play remake, you're still going to have that same Chucky, and even then, and the people can say this about Pet Cemetery, like, well, you could still go back and rewatch, you know, your old one, and, and you can keep that. That's very true. That's not about. That's not an invalid argument, but um, yeah, I, I think it's different when you're adapt when you're remaking a film f- from a film versus you're remaking a a film from a book. So, all right, well, I think that's going to be it, and uh, I thank you guys for sticking around and listening to me rant. I, I know I get pretty heated on some of these rants and uh, some things I feel very passionate about, but. Again, I want to thank Pat for uh, being on the show with me. No problem. Can't wait to do it again. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for us, and we'll see you next time. All right. Bye.